And I finally managed to get one of these that the university budget cuts makes it so hard to get. Program music, picture and sound. This is one of the most popular kinds of music in China and East Asia generally. In fact, um, um, program music is found all over the world. Um, there are many cultures, many musicians who like to do sound pictures of one kind of thing or another. And um, it's been especially po popular in China for at least the last um, um, 2,000 years, um, if not longer. So, probably the most popular kind of program music in, in China, especially with Qin music, is songs that paint a, a, a picture of nature. And there are many of these kinds of, of, of pieces of music that paint pictures of nature, of the beauty, beauties of nature, um, because that is so important in the thinking and ideology of the players of the Qin, even though they themselves, almost without exception, made their lives as government bureaucrats living in the city and working in the city. Maybe because of that, there was a nostalgia for the countryside and a hunger for experiences of nature, a desire to get away from the city and to enjoy the beauties and the peace and wonders of the, nat of, of the natural world. But also, of course, the players of the Qin were scholars, and so a lot of pieces of program music were about historical events. And this is also true of music for other instruments. Um, that there were pieces of music about de depicting his, um, historical events. One of the very popular kinds of, of Chinese program music is music about battles and wars, um, fights between people, or between armies, groups of people. Um, and we'll run into some of that in this class. Um, other kinds of music were pictures of other things. And for instance, there is the piece that we started listening to already. This piece, CD1, example one, that we have heard the beginning of several times. Let's hear a little more than just the beginning. And we heard that this piece is called Wine Madness. Thank you. 
It is indeed program music that paints a picture. And what it paints a picture of is the great scholar and the great artist, the great musician, enjoying time off from his job in the evening, relaxing and unwinding, and having a glass or two of wine as he begins to relax more and more and, and um, maybe ooh, slip and slide a little. How did he make that sound? Just a second, I have to ask you that. How did he make that sound? Yeah, that's right. He slid his finger. I can't really do it because these strings are in such bad condition I can't tune them properly anymore. Maybe I can get one of them. No. They're just gone. I can't get it. That's the loudest twang I can get. You hear that? No. Well, it's an instrument that's not made to be played for a large audience in any case, but it should be louder than that. So, but you get that sound that he was making by rubbing your finger up and down on the strings. People in the front rows can hear that a little bit. I doubt that you guys in the back can. Maybe if I use my fingernail. We could get it a little little bit. That's what that's what the player is doing. He's scraping his finger on the strings to imitate the guy sliding on the floor. I'm sorry, I've got the wrong kind of shoes on with rubber soles, so I can't slip and slide very well. Um, but as he gets tipsier and tipsier. Slidier and slidier. The music is more and more unsteady. And even though it repeats, it keeps changing as if the player couldn't quite remember exactly how to do the same thing. And they're slipping and sliding again. Oh, this is going to be a memorable evening. Well, look, I mean, if you were the world's greatest artist and the greatest scholar and the, uh, the deepest philosopher, many of the writers and the players of this instrument were famous philosophers. The composer of Wine Madness was Yan Chi. There's that slipping and sliding. Yuan Shi was a Neo-Taoist philosopher who flourished in the 
third century AD. That's right, in the 200 ADs period. This piece is almost 2,000 years old. It's not the oldest music in the world. Ooh, and it sounds like it's falling down the stairs at that point. Poor guy. Wow. Kind of went overboard on this night's bottle of wine. suppose is going to happen when he wakes up in the morning. This is the immortal vomiting sound. special ending, special endings like this we call codas, well like a soda but with a, see, <clears throat> that special ending is immortal vomiting sound. There is no music from anywhere else in the world that I know of that has an immortal vomiting sound written into it. And as far as we know, no other musician in the last um, 1,800 years has thought of composing an immortal vomiting sound, although there have been many thousands of drinking songs created in many cultures around the world. This one, at least, has a unique ending. Well, you know, what do we say about something like this? Is it disrespectful to, um, to listen and to talk about something like this, I can't see how it is because there is something so absolutely human and down to earth about someone 2,000 years ago sitting, sitting down to create a piece of music that depicts something as funny as this scholar government official trying to relax for the evening and sort of losing it. and gradually losing it in a way that is so graphic and so funny. I mean, you know, you could, um, you could, you could dance this piece out. You could um, um, turn, it, turn it into a, um, a film or a theater sketch or um, something. Or you could just quietly sit back 
and enjoy it and imagine what the movements of the of the uh, of the um, drinker are and how how they relate to this. But here here's the author, a famous philosopher from the Taoist religion, who is thinking about all of this, thinking about the yin and the yang, the dark and the light, um, the male and female, the, the dual um, principles that, um, that are there in nature and in man, mankind and have to uh, uh, harmonize with each other and find their balance and think, thinking about the kind of strict morality that uh, has to be followed in some ways and the, um, the um, sorts of adjustments and compromises that you make for the, uh, for the sake of human nature and creating this piece that at once celebrates and satirizes and uh, absolutely demolishes his own way of life and his own um, identity and in a gently humorous way um, um, pokes fun at the life of the great artist and scholar and at the same time gives you a good laugh or at least a smile or chuckle or two um, as you sit there watch, watching it. Um, you know, this is a subtle kind of humor, but it's something um, that if Yuan Chi were alive today, he could probably sell to a number of late night shows in New York um, um, for, um, for its comedy value, and he would have absolutely no trouble communicating across 2,000 years and uh, how far is it, about 13,000 miles to the other side of the globe, across cultures, across languages, across religions, across all of the things that separate human beings and across all of those centuries, and it's actually closer to 1,800 years. And here it is, a funny, humanistic, heartwarming kind of a musical portrayal of work, I would say, of true, of, of, of true genius that helps us to suddenly bridge the gap between ourselves and those people so long ago and so far away and see that, uh, that we are human beings with, with um, similar kinds of experiences after all because um, even if you haven't experienced that level of wine madness, you have a fairly good chance sometime in your life of hearing the immortal vomiting sound from your um, roommate or um, from um, somebody you meet on the street, um, a friend or um, a casual acquaintance or um, something. Um, and certainly you might run into somebody who is enjoying their um, night out so much that they might slip and slide and sort of stumble and you'll have to at least get out, get out of your, their way. So this is not something then that is foreign and far away and so removed in time that um, it never touches on our own lives, rather it is something that is fairly close to home. Now at the same time, I have to remind you that most of the program music for the Chin was about nature and natural 
beauty. So that this is not a representative piece. And if you're going to go looking through the chin records that you can find for other songs about partying and living it up, forget it. There just aren't that many um, around. Most of the music for chin is about beautiful things, about intimate things between people, about very deep and profound things, philosophically and religiously. And that's true not just of the music, not just of the people who composed and performed the music, but also uh, for the instrument itself. Let me just write the name on the board. Taoist philosopher, or technically a neo-Taoist philosopher, because there was a, um, um, a new form of Taoism developing around that time, third, um, third century AD. And Yanxi was one, one of the philosophers who helped with its development. At this time in China, there were two major religions. They were Confucianism and Taoism. Both of these were native Chinese religions. One Now, I can't remember the modern spelling for Confucius, so I'll give you the old one, Confucius. Um, one of them developed by Confucius in the early, um, cent in the, um, early um, um, the late third millennium BC, I guess it was. And then um, the other one, Lao Tzu. Again, I, I can't remember the, um, the contemporary spelling for Lao Tzu. Founder of Taoism, also spelled in older works with a T instead of a D. And these were the two classical Chinese religions, and both of these religions um, um, contributed a great deal to the ideology of the Qin and its music. Now, the third major Chinese religion wasn't popular yet in China at this time. We're talking about third, third century AD. It was, it was starting to spread um, into 
China and starting to be, become popular, but um, Buddhism at this point was, was still considered a foreign religion. Buddhism started in India and spread into China in two directions by the Silk Road over the top of Asia through the deserts of uh, Mongolia and uh, Turkestan and inner Asia and also by sea around Southeast Asia and up the east coast of China. And Buddhism came in slowly uh, and was um, considered a foreign religion and a um, not, not very good religion by the people who played the Qin. And so they uh, avoided Buddhism and didn't want to have anything to do with Buddhism. I'll tell you why in just a bit. <clears throat> if you look at the chin, like the piano, it's a black box made of wood. Like the piano, it's, it has strings. Um, those are the basic similarities. The, it also has tuning pegs to tighten the strings and um, to tune them to the right playing pitch, but like I told you, these strings are, um, and the pegs are, are, are defective, and I can't get it in tune on this particular instrument anymore. Now, that's pretty much all that these instruments have in common, except that the, the box is made of wood, and both of them are hollow, so you can see into the instrument through these two holes in the bottom of it, just like you could see into this one if you raise this lid and look inside. <coughs> this one doesn't have all the pedals and the metal levers and the um, wooden levers and the pivots and the padded felt tips on the hammers that hit the string and all of the stuff that, um, that is inside the piano, and that represents 19th century industrial technology. This is, in fact, technologically almost as simple as you could get, or you might think so. Although, actually, if you look at it closely, it is probably as sophisticated as a, a high-quality Western violin, and indeed there are those who say that the best chins are the equivalent of a Stradivarius violin being extremely uh, finely made in a very sophisticated way to produce beautiful tones. Yeah? Um, you talk about the chin being aristocratic. I'm sorry, I talk about the chin being a what? This is, um, <clears throat> this is why we don't have a fixed schedule for, the, for this class, for what we're going to cover um, on every day. Because um, since you asked that question now, um, I'll take some time out to answer it. But uh, actually, we're, fi we're finished with the class for today, so there isn't any time left to answer it today. So would you ask that again the first thing tomorrow? And we'll go into that, and then we'll come back to the, um, uh, to the traditional role of the chin after we've dealt with that. Okay, so we'll see you tomorrow then.